Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Up North Books, a podcast that celebrates books from the north of England. Today we have such an exciting episode for you all. We interviewed none other than the wonderful Laura Williams and we're so excited. Laura Williams is the author of Treats and Supper Club. Treats was shortlisted for the Republic of Consciousness Prize, the Edinburgh First Book Award and the Saboteur Awards and longlisted for the Edge Hill Short Story Prize and Supper Club won the Guardian Not the Booker Prize, was named as Book of the Year 2019 by Time and Vogue and has been translated into six languages. Laura Williams lives in Manchester and is a contributor to the Guardian, Independent, Times Literary Supplement, Vice, Dazed and others. In 2021, she was long listed for the BBC National Short Story Award. Her second novel, The Odyssey, is out now. We're so excited to chat with Laura today and we really hope you will enjoy listening. Hi Laura, it's so lovely to have you here. For the first question, could you please tell us a bit about yourself as a writer and your latest novel, The Odyssey? Um, So I'm primarily a fiction writer. Um, My first book was um, a collection of short stories called Treats. Um, And then my um, second book and my first novel was called Supper Club. Um, And my um, third book and second novel um, is The Odyssey, which is talking to you about today. Um, The Odyssey um, is set on a gargantuan cruise liner um, and um, sort of explores themes of the modern cultures of work. So we follow a character called Ingrid um, who works um, on the ship. She works in the gift shop but like all the other employees on the ship she circulates between lots of different jobs doing these quite intense and demanding short term rotations. And we meet her at the beginning of the novel when she's selected for the mysterious and slightly cult-like employee mentorship scheme, which is run by the ship's captain, who's called Keith, who's this sort of self-appointed visionary type who runs the ship. Amazing. Thank you so much. I always feel like it would be really difficult to like summarise your own book, so you did really well there. (laughs) Thank you. So this is your second novel, as you said, um, the first being Supper Club. Obviously, there's been a pandemic since you wrote your first novel. Uh, We were wondering how the writing process for each of these has differed or if they kind of stayed the same. I would say quite, quite different. Um, I think the first time, um, so Supper Club was the first novel I really tried to write. And I think the first time you kind of write a novel, you're not sure if you're ever going to finish it. So you've got this sort of uncertainty that's always in the back of your mind. And so I kind of knew that I could write a complete long narrative. So I had less of that sort of day to day anxiety. But in terms of the writing process, it was quite different. Um, For Supper Club, I used to spend all of my time writing in well, most of my time writing in the reading room at Manchester Central Library, which is this like quite intimidatingly enormous room um, that's totally silent and any small movement you make like reverberates loudly around the room so it's quite an oppressive (laughs) um, writing environment whereas this one I was a bit kind of looser with my writing practice so I was writing more in cafes I was writing a lot at home during the pandemic Um, and I also kind of gave myself some sort of self-imposed rules because I wanted the writing of this like the prose voice to feel like markedly different to Supper Club like I, I felt like Supper Club was kind of like necessarily a bit messy there's loads of complicated punctuation the sentences are much longer it sort of has a sprawling feel which kind of marries with the kind of themes of the novel but um, I felt like I wanted the Odyssey to feel like quite clean um, and quite structured um, so I, I um, 
uh, yeah, I gave myself a kind of few rules around the aesthetics of the language. So it did feel it did feel quite different. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the the difference in style really does come across as well. Like if right. I picked it up, I don't think I would have necessarily thought they were written by the same author. So um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. The Odyssey has been quite rightly compared to the likes of Otessa Moshweg and Miko Kawakami, um, particularly fitting into the bracket of unhinged women narrators. I'm waiting for it to appear on TikTok. Um, I'm sure it's going to have its moment. Um, the book feels very naturally funny in the same way as those books. Um, was this something you intended to create? And did you enjoy writing a book with a bit more of a playful nature? I did, yeah. I feel like writing, as you said, like the unhinged female narrator, like an unhinged, slightly unhinged narrator, um, you've not got anything sort of stopping your imagination. You've not got anything kind of interrupting your imagination or sort of interrupting where you can go. Um, so the char- character of Ingrid, um, she's not somebody that sort of has much impulse control a lot of the time so um, as a writer it was quite interesting to kind of explore like what if somebody just says yes to everything um, and how far can you go with that um, so that felt like a really fun way of writing um, I find the kind of um, sort of unhinged female narrator thing really interesting though like the kind of unlikable unhinged because um, it sort of contextualizes like having a bit of a moment now um, which I find really interesting because I don't know it sort of puts a, a limit on it or a cap like it's having a moment now whereas it's like a long history of like men writing unhinged unlikable male characters um and yeah it just feels very limiting to think of it as a, a moment for now in like our last um episode we like touched upon the odyssey um not too much obviously because we knew we were going to be speaking to you but we were basically talking about like because she's a character that has like little impulse control it's almost so like the things that go on in the book are so wild that they're plausible because like for a character it's just like yeah she would she would do that right (laughs) even though like for a normal person it's just like I would never do that um I I found that really like well crafted that's really nice to hear. I felt like there was definitely a vicariousness in writing it of just thinking like, what if I was this person that just said yes to everything and just went with things blindly? Yeah. <laughs> it's de- definitely not relatable for me. <laughs> I'm <terrified> of everything. <laughs> in the blurb of the book, um, it's described as a merciless takedown of consumer capitalism. I found that the setting of the cruise liner seems to be like a microcosm of the themes of like consumerism and capitalism with Ingrid rotating various jobs, wearing her work clothes all the time and dreading her occasional return to reality on land. Could you speak more about what you wanted to achieve by looking at capitalism and consumerism in the novel? Interesting you're mentioning about like the setting of the cruise ship. So one of the things um, that um, I, I my first, my starting point with the novel was um, that I wanted to write it on a cruise ship, and I wasn't quite sure why. And then I decided I wanted to write kind of about um, modern cultures of work, um, and then a cruise ship sort of seemed a really perfect place to do that because you've got this kind of um, like class hierarchy, this built-in class hierarchy of like the passengers and the staff, but then you also have this kind of like it's this sort of closed loop. Um, economy where everything is just circulating around the cruise ship and so it felt like a good setting to explore some of those ideas. Um, In terms of exploring ideas of capitalism consumerism I was maybe more interested in in the 
um, performer. Um, so I was, I was interested in writing about work and writing about cultures of work. A very glamorous sounding story, but I was in um, San Francisco um, when Uber went public um, and I was really like, taken by the idea of like how a city tolerates the creation of like a bunch of new millionaires um, every few months, um, which led me to read more about Silicon Valley um, and that led me to read more about kind of Silicon Valley working practices. Um, and I was, I was again, quite struck by how cult-like a lot of those working practices are. So is this software company, um, the Silicon Valley software company that called uh, being fired, being graduated. So if you got fired from the company that say, congratulations, you're moving on, you've been graduated, but it meant you no longer have a job there. Um, and Netflix um, do this kind of strange practice. They call it sunshining. So if you've made a kind of, they say it like an ethic, a, poor ethical decision you then have to stand up in front of your peers and be accountable to them as part of their kind of radical transparency ethos um, and a lot of these kind of practices seemed kind of vaguely coercive and and quite cult-like there was a lot of gaslighting I guess like calling being fired your graduation is just like nakedly gaslighting it's, it's horrendous um, and then I guess I was thinking more about how like a lot of these practices do sort of trickle down um, and the kind of amounts of devotion that we constantly have to perform at work and show to our work I used to live above um in, in this flat and it was above um this design studio um, and the design studio had this like built-in bar um, and all of the designers there would, would would sort of be there till like often till like eight or nine at night um like having a beer at this like extremely cool um and um inviting looking bar and they always looked very self-satisfied but i used to think like you're at work though. you're still at work you're still in the office um and the conversations you're having are probably mostly about work and you're sort of there's a way that you're having this like extra work or extra thinking like eked out of you through this veneer of like it's just a cool bar um it's just a cool job and i just found that really like dystopic and awful um so i guess it was those those kind of aspects of um, work culture that i wanted to explore plus um like precarity and precarious employment um and and kind of what that constant need to recalibrate so thinking about idea of like portfolio career it's not unusual for a few for people to have a few different jobs at the moment and what that kind of constant recalibration does to your brain because I think that recalibration is like quite invisible work that you have to then go into a different mindset um, which obviously you're not being paid for and it can be really exhausting yeah I definitely think there's like all those things kind of going on all at once like you have to be a bit of a shapeshifter in yeah this kind of in the book especially but yeah yeah trans it's just kind of like in this very strange enclosed setting but yeah. lots of people are doing things like that now yeah I, I yeah I completely agree I mean that's that's something my editor was saying when she read it she was saying it's not really dystopia it's just kind of how things are and this thing like you're expected to do more but for less money um, and you're expected to kind of cover all of these different things in your in a job that would have been a lot more focused previously suddenly you have to be lots of different people at once yeah definitely I, I think I just loved like the setting of a cruise ship I just it like blew my mind I was like why have I not thought of this before like yeah <laughs> it, I think it got all the really interesting themes from all the different strands in one place it kind of like really tied it together um, oh, great, 
Have you watched Below Deck, Clara? I've watched a bit of Below Deck. I've got to say I'm more of a selling sunset gal. <laughs> I understand that. I'm a supporter of both. But um, when I was reading the Odyssey, I definitely got like Below Deck vibes. And obviously they were on a boat. But I think, you know, the whole like idea of them just like working so hard, like all these hours. And then as soon as they got to land and they got a day off, they would just like go crazy on the land. And it was like, it was just an unforgotten part of their life. It just really reminded me of the, the protagonist and how she kind of... I actually got... haven't, I haven't made that connection before, but yeah, you're, you're right. Um, yeah, when I was writing it, I was thinking like there needed to be, there needed to be like some offsetting this working life that she has. And I suppose as well, like if, like you were saying with the kind of um, artists in the bar, if like leaving the office, finishing work is like physically leaving the office, she just lives in the office technically. So the only time to like leave that working space is to physically get off the boat. Yeah. So she's yeah. just kind of in it all the time, basically. Yeah, I, I wanted, yeah, I, I wanted her to feel um, like kind of more at sea when she was off the boat and more sort of lost and more adrift when she's off the boat and that she can't really cope without that sort of structure and without those demands being made of her. And um, something I really loved about the book and also in Supper Club, was the kind of friendships you created between the characters and like they weren't always plain sailing well pun um (laughs) could could you talk a bit more about your exploration of friendships um in all of its messy glory I I guess then the the friendship on um the in in the book um it's a very specific kind of um specific type of friendship I would say it's not the kind of everyday normal friendship um, so there's a couple of things I wanted to do with the friendships um, that are depicted in the book um, so I as I was saying I felt like um, some, to, to kind of offset the kind of harsh and demanding world of work I felt like there needed to be something um, and I thought it had to be something quite tender so I wanted her to kind of engage in this kind of slightly artificial but extreme act of tenderness to offset the the working world, um, which is how I came up with the idea of families. And um, so her Ingrid and her two best friends um, on the ship um, play a game in which they take it in turns to be the mum, the dad and the baby. <laughs> um, and they all take it in turns to kind of like nurture each other and, and be the nurtured. Um, and they all want to be the baby. Um, so yeah, I felt like there needed to be a kind of um, an act of like tenderness and indulgence. Um, I also wanted to explore the idea of like a found family in a working environment so they're trying like very obviously to create this artifice of family they literally play families um, and one of the reasons I was interested in the cruise ship is um, as a setting is because everything is an artifice like everything's fake and pretend so there's not a pizza parlor it's a pretend pizza parlor there's not a sushi bar it's a pretend sushi bar none of it's real like all the food is coming from the same kitchen um, so the, the families that they play, like it's not a real family, they're, they're creating this artifice of family. Um, and I also wanted to maybe talk about like sort of family, maybe for like my generation and generations kind of younger than me is, is um, an increasingly hard to get thing because it's so difficult to get a mortgage. It's so difficult to get job security. Um, and so if you kind of have that desire, like how, how can you live that if, there's no kind of material conditions enabling you to. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because I think a lot of like people who I've seen have read the book that like families constantly comes up and they're like, like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, 
but it is that tenderness isn't it in like a very strange way it's showing like their desire to be the baby mm. yeah looked after yeah the desire to be the baby I think because I had a baby like 16 months ago um and um and since having a baby like I've been really attuned to the ways that like we sort of seek experiences out in which we can be babies <laughs> and in which we can kind of yeah revert to that kind of like nurtured and, t- and coddled state um so I think there is something there is like a craving there <laughs> to be the baby <laughs> we all want to be the baby <laughs> um I'd love to know are there any books or writers in particular that have influenced your work in its form or themes um in terms of um this book um High Rise by J.G. Ballard um was um, an influence because it's it's sort of the, the place is so important to it and people are responding to the place and it's sort of considering the kind of psychological impact of the st- structure that you live in and it's got the same kind of claustrophobia and um, I contained a couple of like nods to high rise and that there's a kind of she sort of becomes a little bit more kind of animal um, as the book um, moves on in the same way that um, Robert the character in high rise does um, I was influenced by books in which I guess small group of people engage in like a weird private game like um like families and so like the dreamers or um like cement garden like there's something about that kind of really claustrophobic closed off setting manifesting a weird private game that is a very satisfying thing to read for me um trying to think of other books that um, influenced it i guess some some other books about work um and the working world um like i guess like american psycho in a way um and um something happened by joseph heller um yeah microservice by douglas Goodman. yeah books about work i guess yeah. like kind of a corporate hell type world <laughs> yeah that's really interesting i think the when you have different influences that aren't necessarily fiction as well like you were saying before how you were reading about silicon valley and um, those kind of things that don't really seem to have anything to do with what you're writing about but in a way they actually are really interconnected. So we often talk about lack of northern representation on this podcast um, mainly to do with the publishing world. Um, we were wondering what your experience has been as a writer from the north. Yeah I think um, being like a north, like quote-unquote northern writer um, you're, you're very like contextualized as that um, you're very kind of marked as like a northern writer um I think there's definitely a feeling of being outside like the London publishing world um I I definitely feel like a distance and a remove from London publishing and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing I actually suspect it's kind of a good thing um like I quite like being outside outside of it I quite like that I have to get the train down to go to London um I guess um, Manchester used to have a really vibrant um, like literature scene, which feels like post-pandemic doesn't feel as as kind of as kind of vibrant or energetic in terms of like live events. And I feel like something's definitely been lost there. Yeah, I feel like Manchester also and, and the North has its own kind of enclosed kind of literary scene and is really quite proud of the literary talent that comes comes out of the North. So I think about like, writers like northern writers who I really admire like um like Naomi Booth and Eliza Clark I feel like there's so much pride in the north for those writers as northern writers um which um I don't know if you'd maybe get 
around kind of London writers. I think um, like Manchester's get, definitely getting kind of more of a sort of burgeoning literary scene. Like we've got publishers moving mm. up here. Um, I, I feel a bit worried about that because I don't mm. want... Manchester already feels like pretty London-y these days. Yeah, in a way it's that, like, as well. Yeah, in a way that I really don't like and feel like quite alarmed by. So um, yeah, I don't want yeah. it to feel <laughs> <laughs> so true. and I think that's the thing as well like a lot of when it's like oh um a publisher's doing their utmost to kind of include the north within their sphere it's always like oh let's just go to Manchester but there's so many other places in the north um, that's really interesting as well because I think also the northern identity gets lumped in as this like one big blob and it feels like, I don't know, like, particularly, like, northernness is so, like, proud of its very specific iteration of northernness. But, yeah, it feels, like, really um, dismissive to just talk yeah. about northern identity and northern exactly. writers in, in one kind of exactly. big blog. Talking about the kind of representation of northern writers, it just reminded me of a story of when I was publishing Supper Club. Um, I was at Penguin for, like, the spring launch there. Um, and then... And there were different kind of like panels um, and groups of people together. And um, and I, I, I kind of, I wasn't sure what my panel was. I just knew the other people that I would be on a panel with. Um, and then when I um, sat down and I was being interviewed, they were like, so this is the diversity panel. And I was like, <laughs> like I'm like middle-class white woman. <laughs> like, I, I, like I got me on the diversity panel. And afterwards I spoke to my editor and she was like, or maybe it's because you were from the north. <laughs> that really shouldn't be like diverse. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> it, like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I just want to sit back and not speak. Absolutely. I was like, just ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> not here. Um, carrying on the northernness theme, just a quick one. You've already mentioned a few, so you can just keep it as them if you want to. Um, but we were going to say, do you have any northern book recommendations? So it could just be northern writers or from like northern publishers or anything like that. I'm really looking forward to reading um, Jessica Andrews' new book. Um, yes. I like her work. Um, I love Naomi Booth. I love Eliza Clark. Um, I love their work. Um, a book that um, I'm sure you're aware of and has probably been discussed um, on the podcast is the Test Signal book. Um, yes. which was um, an anthology of um, Northern writings. It's also short stories. So there's a couple of creative nonfiction pieces in there as well. That's a really, really great um, book, which I think, um, as you said, like it feels like a real antidote to kind of what is generally characterized as like Northern writing. Um, it, it just feels really eclectic. Um, yeah, it's really, really great book. Yeah, amazing recommendations. Is that the, the anthology that, with your story in it about the influencer? I mean, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. recommended yeah. it. <laughs> I couldn't remember if it was in that or something else. Well, I, but I love that story. It was so quite nicely into the Odyssey that that story because it's the same kind of like bizarre ongoings. Um, so yeah, I'd highly <laughs> recommend that if you're looking for more Lara after this podcast. Um, another writer who I definitely rate from Manchester is uh, Danielle Joando. Um, she writes YA, um, and she's extremely talented and brilliant author too amazing we'll link everything down below for our last question we were just wondering what's next for you in your writing career or more generally what are you up to at the moment um what am I up to <laughs> um I mean yeah I have a 16 month old so like not much <laughs> um like a lot of tv um and um looking after my child <laughs> a lot of early mornings 
I'm trying to find time to write where I can. I work full time, um, and um, so finding time to write is is um, quite challenging at the moment. Um, I'm trying to write a novel, um, a new novel, a kind of conspiracy thriller slash pregnancy body horror novel, but um, I've I've not really had a chance to work on it for a good few months now. Um, I'm trying to write some more short stories. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of like chipping away at things, but honestly don't have very much time to write at the moment. No, yeah, totally. Life is busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you'll be doing all the rounds um, for the Odyssey, like all your like events and stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you forget like that. That is like a, a thing that you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, the PR circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that was really nice talking to you. Thank you so much for telling us about your new book. We both loved it. It was insane. Um, I'm very <laughs> excited for the next one. So get right in. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really good. Thank you so much. Thank oh, you. Thank so you much. so much. This has been great. Thanks.